the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Slash commercials. Not a- the following program is sponsored Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy warns us against worry. Worry produces instability, lack of decision, lack of direction. Here we're told in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. The word anxious in the Greek is a word that carries the idea of a divided mind that goes in several directions. And you know that's a great description of worry. This tug of war going on between fear and faith, and you're getting torn down the middle. probably all relate to the saying, when it rains, it pours, and maybe today you're in a storm and worries and struggles have you overwhelmed. Well, today on Know the Truth, our teacher, Philip DeCourcy, shares the biblical path to less stress as he continues this practical new study. Returning to Philippians chapter 4 to learn how to turn worries into thanksgiving and problems into prayers. Discover how to draw near to Jesus in the storm. As we go to Philip's message, it's called Voice Your Concerns. Just this week, I was reading about an examination for policemen in England. And this is a test that would test their ability and sharpen their skills. And so a question was posed to all these constables that hoped to make sergeant. And the question went something like this. You're on a patrol on the high street. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you see this car veer across the road into an oncoming van. And so you go to the scene of the accident and you soon determine that the driver of the van is a local criminal that has avoided bail for some time. Then you quickly realize too that the woman who drove the car which veered across the road into the van is the wife of the captain in your station. And her tax registration's out of date. And she's got a little smell of alcohol coming from her breath. Now while you're sizing this all up, A tanker turns the corner, but to avoid the accident that has already taken place, it comes off the road, onto the pavement, and into a shop window. The truck driver jumps out of the truck. He shares with you his concern that there are several people perhaps trapped under his truck, and worst of all, there is inflammable liquid leaking from the tanker. Trying to get your head straight, a lady comes out the alleyway screaming in your face that her son has fallen into the canal and he's drowning. All of that question, on the back of it comes this question. Enumerate, in order, your priorities. To which one officer wrote, remove my uniform and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) I don't blame the guy or the girl. Do you? We can all identify with the police officer's reply. We've all struggled to face and overcome life's stressful situations, to know what to do. 
and how to do it to survive the stresses and the strains. We've all been tempted to walk away from some pressure, some problem, some person. Let's be honest. You and I find it hard to find the grit and the wit to bear up under the bearing down of life. It's hard to be collected. It's hard to be calm. It's hard to be clear-headed when life screams in your face. Wanting a resolution, demanding a decision. We've acknowledged, haven't we, in this series that life is often a whirlpool of stresses at home, at work, in the church, in our nation at large, stresses that like a whirlpool tend to pull you down to places of darkness and despair and defeat and doubt. In fact, ours is a nation in distress. Ours is a nation under stress. Robert Morgan, in his book, Worry Less and Live More, tells us that anxiety disorders comprise the most common illness in America. Officially, they affect 18% of the adult population, but 100% of us worry every day. What are we going to do with these stresses that produce anxiety? What are we going to do with these pressures that seem to leave us with this nagging feeling that life is out of control and about to crush us? Well, with the reality of troubled minds, we have turned our hearts towards Philippians 4, verses 2 to 9. Paul here gives us a series of statements, a series of action steps that I believe are a means to enjoying the peace of God that surpasses human comprehension, that allows us to live under the canopy and under the cover of the God of peace who promises to be with us. What we have here is therapeutic theology that will promote peace in your life and my life. God-given remedies and realities to the wearied heart and the worried soul. Now, if you've been following with us, you'll notice we have identified several things that will help us lessen stress. In verses 2 to 3, peacemaking. Paul says to two women who are at loggerheads with each other, be of the same mind. Relational reconciliation goes a long way to you and I enjoying God's peace. Secondly, joy. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Thirdly, sweet reasonableness. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. Four, hope. Hope in the soon return of Jesus Christ, for the Lord is at hand. This is where we've got so far. You want to lessen stress? Be a peacemaker, be a joyful Christian, exhibit sweet reasonableness, and indeed have the hope of Jesus in return. But in verses 6 to 7, we're given a fifth remedy, a fifth reality, prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We need to dig down into this. We need to turn our problems into prayers. We need to shape our pressures into prayers. Bottom line, don't run from life. Run to God in prayer because He's the Lord of life. And He can indeed enable you to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. 
Remember what Corrie ten Boom so wisely said, there is no panic in heaven, only plans. So when you and I stick our head up into heaven through prayer, we drink in the peace that's there. You know what? We can be still and know that He is God over that stressful situation. See, our response to life's challenges are all important. I don't know if you remember this, but in our opening study, we quoted from Dr. Richard Swenson, who's done a lot of writing on stress. I've appreciated several of his books. And he says this in his minute margin. Although we use the word stress in a negative connotation, it actually is a value-neutral concept. In the medical sense, stress is the body's response to any change required of it or any demand imposed upon it. Such a definition is contrary to the popular thinking that defines stress as an unpleasant circumstance such as tax time or a screaming baby. Stress is not the circumstance. Stress is your response to the circumstance. Stress is not out there. Stress is in here. End quote. If you embrace that, if you understand, we often say, you know, I'm all stressed out. The problems are tremendous. The family's falling apart. The bills are piling up. That's not stress. That's your circumstances. Stress is what you're going to do in response to those circumstances. That's why your response is so important to your peace. And that's why we're told here, you know what? Are you stressed? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Go to God. That's your response. So let's look at these verses, the prohibition, the petition, the protection. Right, the prohibition, verse 6. I mean, this verse just hits you smack in the face, doesn't it? Be anxious for nothing. Pretty plain, pretty simple, very understandable. Stop worrying. It's an imperative in the Greek. It's a command by Paul to stop worrying. Now, here's the interesting thing. The construction of the Greek points to the fact that they were in the process of worrying. So he addresses himself to Christians who have a propensity to worry. And as he writes to them, may well be worrying at this very moment. And he says, stop it. Cut it out. No more. You've got to stop the worrying. If you've started it, stop it. If you haven't started worrying, don't begin. Because it's forbidden, it's prohibited, it's off the list of things that are permissible in the Christian's life. Paul catches the Philippians in the commission of a spiritual crime. You're worrying? Stop it. Now, they had things to worry about, to be fair to them. They were in stressful circumstances and their responses may not have been the best responses. There was Paul's situation. You know that this letter is written to update them in chapter 1, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 10, about how he was doing, because they wanted to know how he was doing. And they may even have been worried about how he was doing. So you've got Paul's situation. Then you've got Epaphroditus' condition. The Philippians send Epaphroditus, one of their members, to Paul several hundred miles away, and he doesn't come back in the timeline that they would have thought appropriate. They wonder how he's doing. Paul writes to tell him in chapter 2, verse 26, that Epaphroditus is fine. 
Although when he got there, he became sick and almost died. Paul prayed, God heard the prayer, and God didn't add sorrow upon sorrow, problem upon problem for Paul. No doubt they were worried about their friend, Epaphroditus. Then you've got persecution, chapter 1, verse 28 to 29, where Paul talks about adversaries. In chapter 3, he talks about those who are enemies of the cross. They had their enemies. They had those who opposed them. Then you had the infiltration of false teachers. Those of the circumcision, chapter 3, verse 2 to 6, they were mutilating the gospel and wounding the body. You have two women who are at odds with each other. Some there was fraying in the fellowship. There was cracks in their unity. And that might have been spreading because Paul in chapter 2 emphasizes a lot the issue of unity and selflessness. And then finally, they actually may have been worried a little about their material well-being. Because you go to Second Corinthians, the church at Philippi was part of the churches at Macedonia, and they were the poorest of the New Testament churches. And yet this church had sacrificially sent some gifts to Paul through Epaphroditus. They prove what many a pastor has discovered, that in God's work sometimes those who can least afford to give are those who give most generously. That's the case with the Philippians. And Paul probably anticipates, wow, we have emptied our pocket to help Paul. What are we going to do? And Paul writes, thank you for the gift, chapter 4, 10, and 19. And let me tell you, my God shall supply all your need. You empty this pocket, he'll fill the other pocket. But there was all sorts of stuff that was stressing them and straining them to a point where they seemed to have been worrying. Remember what we said, the construction of the Greek, stop your worrying. They are in the process of doing it. And Paul says, put the brakes on, stop that. And just a good question, what do you worry about? What are you worrying about right now? Your health? Your children? Your finances, your job, your ability to retire, the state of our nation, acceptance of others, the condition of your walk with God, terrorism, the list goes on. What are you worried about? Whatever, whoever, wherever, stop it. That's what Paul says, not me. That's the word. He's saying that to me as much as he's saying that to you. Whoever, wherever, whatever, stop it. Cut it out. Worry about nothing. And so we want to take that to heart. And let me just kind of go on a little sidetrack here for a couple of minutes. Why? Why stop worrying? Well, number one, it's fruitless for starters. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. It's not productive and it produces nothing. Jesus said that, didn't he? In Matthew 6, verse 27, In fact, many believe that Paul may be drawing in his own mind from some of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ here as he addresses his own disciples who have a tendency to worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to put on. Remember, they're itinerant preachers that kind of walk the plank, so to speak, put it all on the line for Jesus Christ. And what does he say? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And there's a debate here that could also be interpreted, which one of you can add days to his life? Okay, whether it's inches to your height or days to your life, worry doesn't produce any of that. You don't grow physically, you know, or chronologically through worrying. In fact, worry doesn't add days to your life. Worry takes days off your life. What do you get for all your worrying? You get ulcers, not answers. It's true, Bill. Worry won't do anything for us, but it will do many things to us. 
high blood pressure, nervous twitching, heart palpitations, chest pains, headaches, ulcers, canker sores. Worry won't give you anything but ulcers. It won't give you answers. Your problems don't get smaller by worrying, they get larger. And you get more exhausted by doing it, which means you're worse off than when you started worrying about the problem in the first place. It's not only fruitless, it's sinful. We're back to the fact this is an imperative in the Greek. It's a prohibition. It's a command. It's a no-no. It's a thou shalt not. And if you and I keep on worrying, then we have broken a commandment. It's a sin to break a commandment. In fact, to add to that, over in Matthew 6.30, Jesus says of his worried disciples, O you of what? Little faith. Diminished trust. And you know what? According to Romans 14.23, that which is not of faith is sin. When you and I are not operating in the sphere of life and living without trust in God, we're outside the will of God. We're sinning. Because the just shall live by faith. Now, for us, it's a respectable sin. You can get away with it. If you're in a small group and everybody's confessing their sins and someone's saying, you know what, I've cheated on my wife, you'll hear a gasp or, you know, whatever. I'm a chronic liar. Wow, you are? What about if you just said, oh, I'm a chronic worrier. Ah, same as me. (laughs) My friend, let's be honest. You can no more steal, lie, cheat on your wife than you can worry. Let's get real about it. It's forbidden. It's sinful. It's fruitless. Thirdly, it's paralyzing. Here we're told in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. The word anxious in the Greek is a word that carries the idea of a divided mind, a mind that's torn, that goes in several directions. And you know that's a great description of worry because the worried mind is a mind that's swirling, doesn't settle, isn't still. Faith pulls you this way. You know what? I know that God loves me and His providence will work all things together for good and the Spirit of God is my companion and the promises of God are great and exceeding and faith is pulling us this way. But fear pulls us this way. Yeah, but what if? And all of a sudden your mind is divided as this tug of war going on between fear and faith and you're getting, you know, torn down the middle. That's why James will say in James 1, a man who doubts God is an unstable man in all his ways. Worry produces instability, paralysis, lack of decision, lack of direction. It's forbidden because it's fruitless, it's sinful, it's paralyzing. You know what? In the old days, if they wanted to kill their enemy, sometimes this is rather gross, they would tie a man, his arms and legs to four horses, chain a man to four horses in. They'd whip the horses. The horses would run off in several directions and literally rip the man from leg to limb, limb to leg. Pulled apart. Can you imagine that? A body just getting pulled apart. Well, in a mental, in an internal manner, that's what worry does. It pulls us apart to where we're physically tired, mentally and emotionally unstable, and spiritually out of sorts with our walk with God. Finally, it's a bad testimony. It's a bad testimony. For this, we go to the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6. Speaking of food and clothes, speaking of daily pressures and everyday life, Jesus said, you know what? When it comes to these things you guys are worrying about, 
I'm telling you not to worry about. He tells us in Matthew 6, verse 32, that these are the things that Gentiles seek after. But your heavenly Father knows the things you have need of. Well, the word Gentile is a code word for those who are outside the synagogue, those who are outside the believing community. In our language, it would be those outside the church in the world, the worldlings, those who don't know Christ, those who are not disciples of the Master. And that's the stuff they get worried about. They get up every day worrying about their bills, their mortgages, school tuition for their children, retirement funds, on and on it goes. They define their life by what they possess, and they are often possessed by the things that they possess. But Jesus said, your Father knows the things you have need of. So what's Jesus' point? Worry is the act of an orphan. Let's be honest about it. That's fair. If you or I were an orphan, you'd be worried. You have no parent, or if you have a parent, they're not at this moment either able to take care of you or they're not interested in taking care of you. So you're at the mercy of the state which is a big, cold organization. You could fall through the cracks. You're just a number. You're not a person. You're not getting individual attention by a loving mother or a faithful father. If you're an orphan, you're worried. But not if you're the child of a mom and a dad that loves you and have proven their faithfulness. And whatever happens, they're going to do all that they can to take care of you. That's Jesus' point. You know, I don't remember consciously ever worrying about food and clothing when I was a boy or even a teenager. I just never crossed my mind, you know? And to my shame, I was often unthankful for that. Didn't appreciate that. But my mother was home. Dinner was always ready. Dad was a hardworking factory man. Bills were paid. Bacon was on the table, literally and figuratively. I didn't worry about it. The things I worried about was whether my mom was going to fork out the money to buy me the particular jeans or boots that I wanted. That was the issue I worried about. You see, that's the point Jesus makes. When you've got a father like you have a father who knows the things you have need of, and if we come to Philippians 4.19, is, is able to supply all your need. Then what are you worried about? And if you're worried... You're giving the impression to the world who lives for this stuff and worries about this stuff that your heavenly father is a deadbeat dad who can't be trusted. How shameful is that? And yet that's sometimes what I do and you do. We give the world the impression that faith in God really doesn't make a lot of difference when it should. Your father knows the things you need. That's all you need to know to deal with your worry. That is strong encouragement from Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. We're learning to take cover in the love and care of our Heavenly Father who knows just what we need. Following God's path to less stress is the focus of Philip's current teaching series. And if you'd like to listen again to any of the messages, visit us online at ktt.org. There you can also purchase the complete series on CD for personal or group study. It's our prayer that these messages would serve as a source of daily spiritual growth for you. We know you have a busy schedule, so we're glad that you've chosen to take some time out of your day to study God's Word with us. Now, would you consider helping someone else find Know the Truth? Share today's message with a friend. Direct them to listen on the radio or online at ktt.org. You can also share Know the Truth with people all over your city and in cities across America when you give today. As a listener-supported ministry, Know the Truth relies on your generosity. 
We truly could not and would not exist without your donations. And when you give today, we'll show our thanks by sending you a book by Paul Touches titled Brass Heavens. Now, the title may have you scratching your head, but the book offers solid reasons for unanswered prayer and encourages you to keep praying even when God seems silent. Reignite your passion for prayer and request the book Brass Heavens when you call 888-644-8811 or request it online at ktt.org. And consider taking the extra step to become a Truth Ambassador. Your monthly automated gifts of $25, $100, or any amount will help us plan and prepare for the days ahead. Become a Truth Ambassador online at ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow when Philip DeCourcy continues his message titled Voice Your Concerns. That's right here, Thursday, on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Owen Strand for townhall.com. Here are the rules today. You must be pro-woman at all times, unless, that is, the woman you're engaging is conservative or religious. We saw an example of this cultural double standard at this past weekend's White House Correspondents' Dinner. This dinner has a history of friendly banter, but comedian Michelle Wolf crossed the line. Even as she joked about abortion, she attacked White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, making fun of her looks and repeatedly called her a liar. Whatever our political differences, let's be clear. This kind of public abuse is reprehensible. It's especially shocking because supposedly we're in a tolerant age that prizes diversity. In practice, it seems some people deserve respect and some don't. This is the strangest of ages. When a woman is conservative or religious, you can say whatever you want about her. I have a better idea. Let's treat all women with respect. I'm Owen Strand. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're around my age, one of these days... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.